0: And now for something completely different. Ah!
1: Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning. And welcome to the show. Of course, it's the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show, which means uh, Danny Ratliff will join me this morning. So we'll be getting into... Uh, why homes are so expensive. This is going to be the the big conversation today. And and it's not the reason that you think. And and it's always interesting because we want to blame all these factors on why we have high home prices. And it really comes down to one. And we'll talk about that this morning. Um, But outside of that, yesterday, of course, Apple's big reveal yesterday. New iPhone 15, and yes, it costs more. (laughs) That was the reveal. That was pretty much the extent of the reveal, new iPhone. Uh, new iWatch, uh, Apple Watch, and, of course, uh, some new iPods, as we said. But it was pretty, uh, you know, the, the event, of course, you know, came off and uh, as expected. And, you know, what was interesting, though, is that, you know, back in the day, I remember when Apple used to have these announcements and, you know, it was just these uh, huge events and, you know, lots of fanfares all over the media, everywhere, and, People were lined up outside of Apple stores, wrapped around the block four times, you know, to try to get the latest iPhone. And and now it's pretty much becoming, yeah, you know, kind of a yawner event. And yesterday, uh, the stock actually sold off after the event, which is also kind of very unusual compared to what it used to be back in the day as we all get older now. Um, back in you know, the, the early 2010s, 11s, when they'd make these announcements, um, stock would be rallying 5, 10, 15% a day. Uh, not so the case yesterday. Uh, overall, though, Apple remains in a fairly good position here. Trend is positive. So again, nothing really going on here. Again, these major mega cap stocks continue to drive the overall market. If you take a look at the advance this year, X, the AI stocks, right? Apple, Microsoft, Google, Nvidia, Tesla, Uh, The S&P really is, while it's up, you know, 17% for the year overall with those AI stocks, you strip those out. The return this year far weaker uh, for the rest of the S&P. So again, it's really been pretty much a function of these guys driving the markets continues to be the case. Uh, Apple getting fairly oversold short term, but on a short term sell signal as well. So keep a watch on that. Could see a little bit more downward pressure. Uh, The 200-day moving average currently about 164 on Apple. So there's certainly some risk to the downside here in Apple share, short term. Long term, it's where money flows are going to hide, as is always the case. So just remember that, that you've got a passive indexing effect supporting the stock. But again, that doesn't negate the possibility of a bit more decline in the stock price uh, temporarily, particularly as we have this issue with China going on. And And again, this is really going to come down to the consumer ultimately as to who can afford, you know, a phone, right, of this of this size, and, and these phones are getting much more expensive, um, and and again, as as we take a look at what's happening with consumer spending, certainly starting to see some cracks in consumer spending, wage growth on an inflation-adjusted basis is, is declining pretty rapidly now. You know, so we had this big surge in wage growth. Remember back in 21 and 22, we had these big jumps in wages, and we were like, oh, this is man, you know, the the wage growth is just roaring back. And it was because we had terminated a lot of jobs and we had shut down the economy. So we're hiring all these back, uh, people back. And and then of course, employers were competing with each other, trying to get the employees to come back to work. And so they were paying more wages uh, to get them to come back to work. Well, now that's over, right? We're back back fully employed. The, The demand is dropping off here. So now there's not such a demand to hire employees to fill gaps needed to meet demand, that's over with. So now wage growth is declining and that's declining at a time that also consumers are running into the real problem of now having to make more payments, right? All these moratoriums and, and uh, you know, forgiveness programs that we had on certain debt, that's all gone now, right? All that extra stimulus money that was coming in that was helping, make people, uh, helping people make ends meet, that's over. So now all of a sudden, wage growth is declining as all of this underlying, you know, uh, cost is coming back. And I'm not talking about just inflationary pressures. I'm talking about the lack of stimulus that was there, Uh, you know, increased child tax credits, uh, extended unemployment benefits, all that's gone. And now, the, you know, these rent moratoriums and, and house payment moratoriums, and everything else that we had going on, that's over. And now student loan payments are restarting uh, on October the 1st. So the, the last vestiges of those supports are now leaving at a time where inflation-adjusted wage growth is declining. And, and actually, it's declining fairly sharply here. Uh, so this really puts a, a, a potential cramp on consumer-related stocks, Apple being one of those consumer-related stocks. Now, just full disclosure, we're long Apple in our portfolio, but we've owned it for a very long time. But again, this is a short-term problem you know, for the markets, and not just for the markets in general, but also for the overall economy, is that at some point we're going to have to balance out this issue between economic growth and valuations. And that's going to be a, a topic that we have in our newsletter this weekend is kind of reviewing valuations of the markets. Uh, so we'll have that out on Saturday, but we'll be going through that in a little bit more detail, looking at where we are currently on valuations versus history, and what that tends to suggest, particularly when you're starting to move into an environment of higher interest rates, which always suggests lower valuations because of the cor- of the correlation between higher interest rates and slower economic growth. So again. We'll get into all that this in this weekend's newsletter. But here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Uh, the markets did, you know, sell off just a little bit yesterday following the Apple announcement. We actually rallied into uh, the announcement yesterday after the announcement. Kind of a bit disappointing. Markets sold off. But again, still well defined here in terms of, you know, kind of this pattern that we've been in. We have this very defined kind of uh, issue uh, currently of this wedge pattern being built here between these declining tops and rising bottoms that that price compression is becoming a bit more uh, complete here so again prices are going to have to make a move out of this compression range fairly soon in one direction or the other this morning could be potentially a catalyst for that expectations are of course for CPI to print at the core right around 0.2% but at the headline could be as high as 0.6 but Again, if we see a number that's 0.6, 0.7, that could lead to a fairly big decline in the S&P. And that's estimated could be a 1.5% to 2% decline in the S&P if the inflation comes in a lot hotter than expected this morning. Of course, a much weaker print at the headline would also be a boost for stocks. Uh, could be 1% to 2% on the upside if headline inflation comes in weaker than expected so again we're back to kind of these inflation games but importantly keep a watch on this kind of this wedge that we're building here because this is going to eventually compress and and the market is going to break out in one direction or the other we're still currently on a buy signal at a fairly low level the markets are not extremely overbought so there is fuel here for an upside move in stocks but again we could have a bit more pressure here in the short term because of this inflation report we've got the Fed meeting next week but once we get past that we're going to start moving into the seasonally strong period of the year October November December and portfolio manager positioning going into year end so again there is still an upward bias to the markets you certainly want to want to kind of keep playing that side right now until the market tells you differently but could have some volatility this morning uh, around this CPI report and what it comes out and says now remember whatever the headline inflation number is that's fine what the fed looks at is the core and then tomorrow we have the producer price index which is the other inflation gauge that the fed looks at also at the core so again it's the core that matters much less than the headline which is volatile due to energy prices food prices etc but we'll see what the market says and how it reacts today and of course we'll update you tomorrow on where we are but again uh, buckle up this morning could be a little bit uh, volatile Uh, in the market because of this inflation report. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff and get into why housing prices are so darn unaffordable. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Danny Radliff joining me. Danny, good morning. Hey, good morning. Yep. It's Happy Hump Day. Yes, sir. Um, so we've talked about this before, and I thought this was interesting because Danny, I think Danny and I actually had this conversation previously at one point. And then this morning on MarketWatch was an article talking about the 1% down payment is here. Is it a win win? Should cash strap buyers avoid it? And the answer is yes, you should. absolutely because you can't afford the house if you can't afford a down payment. Um, you know there's a, there's a bit of, of responsibility, as we've talked about before, to buying a house. and the first thing is is if you can't afford to save up a 20% down payment for the house, you can't afford the house. And that just tells you that your cash flow isn't in a good position. If you come up, well, you know, things are expensive, you know, and I want to really move into a house. I know what you want to do, right? We all want to live in a house. Absolutely. Um, don't come at me. I lived out of my truck for three years. So, you know, you have to, you have to decide what's more important. So, but yes, we all want to live in a house. Because that's what's pitched to us. That's what we're told by the, by, the, by the real estate groups, by the National Association of Realtors, by the, 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 uh, you know, the homeowner uh, associations, all these people saying, oh, you have to own a house. Zillow, right? Ads, you know, here's where your home is. You're all told you have to buy a house, but there's no rule or law that says you have to buy a house, right? There's all this stuff that's thrown out at you. It's just like, oh, well, if you're renting an apartment, you're just throwing money away. Wait till you own a house and see how much money you throw away owning a house. (laughs) So, um, you know, so it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And and I'm not saying that you should never own a house. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, is that if you can't financially afford to save up the 20% down payment, there's another problem that you need to solve first to create the cash flow. Because think about it this way, the down if you can save up the 20% down payment, what that says is is that you also have the free cash flow available to keep up with the home ownership expenses, and and home and and Danny will tell you, I will tell you, anybody that's owned a house will tell you, it's always something, right? It's a refrigerator, it's a dryer that goes out, it's a washer that needs fixing. You got you got a leak around a window. You've got a just this weekend, I had to have an AC guy come out because the drain pan in the in the, uh, the drip pan and the AC was overflowing because the line had gotten clogged. You know, it's just always something, right? And it's $500 here. It's $800 there. And look, it's never a $50 thing, right? It, the guy that shows up it's like, okay, it'll be a $150 trip charge, and then I'm going to tell you what's wrong with your property. You know, it's always something. So if you can't afford to save up to 20% down payment, Right, And I know that takes time. I know you're anxious and you want to buy the house. you got to get into it today because just, gosh darn it, I'm tired of renting. I get it. But if you can't save up to 20% down payment, that tells you there's, there's another problem. And when you get into the house, you're going to find out all these other things. In fact, all these, there was a bunch of studies out just you know, recently after all these millennials took their stimulus checks and went out and bought houses that almost 80% of them were disillusioned with the house the house they bought because they were buying them sight unseen because you know there was this rush to buy a house I have money I got to go buy it right money's burning a hole in my pocket so they were buying houses sight unseen they were buying houses in neighborhoods that weren't particularly great uh, but they could get into the house quick you know and just all these mistakes and then they then they realized the cost of the ownership and and so 80 over 80% of them were very disillusioned with the home ownership process after having jumped into home ownership, so you know now this so this is the background for this story and i thought it was interesting and i just want to read to you a clip and i'm gonna turn it over to nanny because he's just foaming at the mouth over here i can already tell <laughs> to drum up business right so, so again you know interest rates have gone up right interest rates have gone up refinancings have fallen off the roof i mean who's going to refinance a two percent mortgage into a seven right i mean just so mortgage companies are dying right now they just don't have any business with mortgage rates at a multi-decade high business has businesses dried up for mortgage lenders a few home buyers are keen aren't keen on taking out a 30-year mortgage with a rate of over seven percent to drum up business now listen to this okay now this is not what zillow is going to tell you or Rocket Mortgage is going to tell you in their commercials. Always think about the business side of this. It goes with Wall Street. I- IPOs from Wall Street, right? Same thing. It's all business. To drum up businesses, lenders have positioned various products to entice homeowners, particularly allowing buyers to put down just 1%. Lenders say they are trying to make homeownership more affordable for the prospective home buyer. Really, are you? Last month, real estate listing, listing company Zillow announced a 1% program. Uh, Rocket Mortgage, another large lender, offered a very similar 1% down. Now, how are they offering 1% down? This is the key question. Well, they're eating the other 2%. Fannie Mae already offers a 3% down, uh, a 3% down mortgage, right? All you do is come up with 3% on your mortgage and you can get a mortgage for your house. So, Rocket Mortgage and Zillow are eating 2% of that down payment. Now, they're going to get their money back. Trust me, they're not giving you anything, first of all. <laughs> okay. So, they're going to get their money back, but you put down one, they basically eat the two, and then they give you the mortgage. So, this is, this is, What's being offered? Is this a good thing, right? Should you jump in on this? Then I'll just stop there because I have lots of stuff to say, but I'll let let Danny have a, a word in edgewise here.
0: Well, you know, I agree with everything that you're saying, Lance. So Bob Walter, CEO of Rocket Mortgage, said, We talk with people from all walks of life every single day, many of whom are ready to own a home and could easily make the monthly mortgage payments, but are having trouble saving for a down payment. So... That makes no sense. It makes no sense, exactly. So you can make the mortgage payment, but you can't sit there and save. So you don't have that emergency fund. You don't have the financial vulnerability cushion. You don't have the ability to save for that down payment of, like you said, what, maybe 3%. Mm -hmm. And ideally it needs to be much more. And so they go on to say that this is actually a good thing because if somebody needs to walk away they're not out so much money because if the house goes upside down, you need to leave, mm-hmm. you're not losing $80,000. Right. You're only going to lose, say, $6,000. So it says, if a home buyer puts down 3.5% on an FHA mortgage or 1% down on a Rocket or Zillow mortgage, that person may be more likely to say, let it go. I'm only losing six grand." It's a much bigger pill to swallow than if you're losing $80,000. Well, right. obviously. Now, mortgage companies ideally want you to have some skin in the game but that just shows you where we are in this environment. And if you cannot afford all the things you just mentioned, Lance, right. I mean, look, people are disillusioned. If Listen, I, I can tell you this, if my, if my dishwasher breaks, the washing machine's breaking too, probably AC's going out in the car. Right. I mean, it seems like <laughs> when it rains, it pours, right? right? Everything happens at once. And it's unfortunate that you know, we have this, the, the American dream is that we need to own our own home. And, and look, home ownership can be fantastic, but you need to understand what, it, what the actual cost of it is. And that's where people, I think, go, you know, they go the wrong direction here with this. Feeling like they have to get into something. And we see, we see a lot of young, you know, new families mm-hmm. make, this, make this mistake. They have to get a home. They get into one. They may, you know, number one, they may be house poor. Um, they can't afford to do anything else. I mean, when I was much younger, I saw a lot of friends do exactly that. But then you start thinking about, okay, well, how long are you actually going to stay there? Now you're starting a family. Is it still the right place, right school district? Mm-hmm. Things you weren't thinking about at the time. Average homeowner stays in a home for seven years. But we see a lot of times somebody that that flips this much quicker. Now you're in an environment like we are in today where interest rates are much higher. You've got a lot of other things going against you at the moment. The housing market has still remained relatively elevated depending on the the area that you're in. It's a tough one, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're gonna have to see a lot of things go your way especially if you're looking at which many people look at it as an investment,
1: not a place to live. Right. And, you know, this, and, and it, look, and, it, and to your point, that's exactly kind of the crux of this, which is if you don't have 20, you know, say the house is, you know, 300000 whatever. So you're going to put 20% down on the house, so you got sixty grand into the house. To your point, it's much more difficult to just walk away from that. You've got skin in the game. But more mm-hmm. importantly, if you've, uh, you know, again, going back to the, the fact, and I know it sounds terrible, and we're going to talk about why we have a housing problem after the break. It's not what you think or what many people think. There's a couple of factors outside of this. But, you know, if you got 60 grand into the house, first of all, you're, that means you had that cash flow to save up over time. This goes back to the the beginning premise of, of all this, which is there is a, a function of being financially ready. Not, you know, everybody in, in, in an ideal world, everybody should live in their own home. I, I, you know, I absolutely agree with that. You should You should have your place, right? But it's not worth buying the house if all you do is stress over trying to make the monthly note and the rent and, and the monthly note, sorry, and the utilities and, and everything else that goes along with home ownership every month. It's, you know, it it turns, you know, that American dream into an American nightmare very quickly. And by the way, the American dream was never home ownership. This is something the National Association of Realtors turned into this. Right. They, they're they the ones that started telling you, oh, the 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 American dream is home ownership. No, that was never the case. The American dream was being able to come to America with two nickels in your pocket. And there's plenty of stories of this, of people that immigrated here from other countries and with no money and then built very wealthy lifestyles for themselves, well, became dude. very successful, built businesses, um, you know, from from hair products to a whole variety of other things home ownership was the award right that was the recognition of achievement of success when you were successful and could afford to buy the house that was the representation of that success of that achievement of the American dream the real estate market has turned that completely upside down and is now creating poor people that own houses
0: yeah. And you're right, it was the reward. And unfortunately that one percent down payment, even three and a half percent down payment, you don't have that same satisfaction or pride in the home ownership mm-hmm. as one once did because they're right, you can just walk away. Well, no big deal, not my house anymore. I'm not I don't have the skin in the game. Yep. And the reward is the big, big part of it in the sense that, you know, they change the narrative and why? Because it benefits them, not you. Right.
1: And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So in 1990 and 1995, it took about 20% of your income to pay for your house. In 2015, it still took about 20% of your wages to buy a house. Today, we're at over 50, almost 50% of your income to afford a house. So there's lots of reasons for this, of course, and and home prices have been a subject of a lot of debate really since uh, 2008, once we, you know, went through the financial crisis and Uh, went to zero interest rates, but it actually goes back further than that. We go back to Alan Greenspan in 2000 who first started talking about the adjustable rate mortgages and how everybody should use an adjustable rate mortgage because everybody needs to own a home. And this, of course, was picked up by the banks and the mortgage companies. And, you know, everybody was throwing out these adjustable rate mortgages. And, of course, we came up with all kinds of variations of adjustable rate mortgages to uh, get people into houses. We had the ninja loans, the no income, no job loans, right? And going up to 2008, we had no income verification, you know, whatever it was. You know, just get a – if you could fog a mirror, you could get a mortgage for a house. And, of course, when you have that kind of demand for for homes, right – What happens to home prices? They go up. So today, here we are, we've got a lot of complaints by millennials and Gen Z both. Rightly so, right? They can't afford a house. They're too expensive. The rent's too damn high, right? This guy in New York. Uh, But yeah, mortgages are are outrageous in terms of what homes are, are priced for. And this is directly the responsibility. This, this falls directly on the shoulders of the mortgage industry. And what we're talking about this morning is 1% mortgage, right? So let's just talk about how, how do we get higher home prices, first of all. Well, that's a pretty simple mathematical equation. I've got too much demand for too little supply. That's all there is. At 7% on interest rates, people that own... A mortgage at two percent—they're not selling their houses, so existing home sales are dragging in the dirt right now because nobody wants to sell a house to go get a seven percent mortgage. Right? That is just—that's just not what people want to do. So they're staying put in their houses. On the other side of this, Danny's been talking to some home builders lately. He'll tell you this, but home builders are coming out with all these programs to sell new houses, right? So home builders are doing great. Take a look at Lenar or or Beezer Homes or uh, Toll Brother Homes. Stock prices are doing great because they're just selling out supply as fast as they can build it. Why? Well, because there's no existing homes to sell. So if you want to buy a house, you pretty much have to buy a new house. And Danny, what's uh, you said you were just talking to D.R. Horton here recently. Well, yeah, I've got a buddy who
0: basically what most of these companies are. So, you know, have some Friends that work at different companies and so always trying to pick their brain, get an understanding as far as what is actually going on. And so they said, hey, you know, what's, what's happening is, is that we're able to lend at cheaper rates right now. But the majority of the time it's for one year. Then the rates actually climb up a bit. Now, still lower than what you and I could typically go out on the open market and go purchase. So they're incentivizing because obviously they have, you know, this is multifaceted for them. It's not just the loan. It's actually selling the, the lot or the home. Um, and so there's a lot more into it. But the so they're able to get people into houses that maybe they would not be able to if they were looking for an existing home. Right. So it's it's cheaper. And I think that's one big part of this equation, Lance, is that you know, you think about what people could afford a year ago, two years ago, three mm-hmm. years ago. And you could afford a whole lot more home. But now with the same type of payment, the affordability has just gone yeah. it's gone way, way down.
1: Yeah, and I don't and you know, if if before I make, you know, I make $50,000 a year and I'm looking to buy a $400,000 house, which you can't afford that, right? But don't, don't tell a real estate agent. They'll make sure and try to get you into it. Um, you know, now all of a sudden you can't afford that $400,000 house. You can only afford a $200,000 house, whatever it is, right? Yep. And, and, and so the point is, and to Danny, and this is, is key, is that if, I, if there's no existing inventory to buy, and new home inventory is getting sold at lower rates for one year now mind you it's a one-year loan and then it adjusts now what the home builders are hoping is is that interest rates will come back down they'll refinance out of that mortgage at a lower rate and
0: well that's what they're fully expecting
1: ex- yeah and uh, which goes good with our bond story um but you know that's what they're expecting they'll be out of this loan in a fairly short period of time they'll have their house sold all good but the point is, is all of this drives demand And when you have limited supply and a lot of demand, you're going to have higher prices. So it's the National Association of Realtors. It's the home builders. It's the mortgage companies. It's the banks that are driving this unaffordable, unaffordability of homes by giving you all of these no money down, some money down programs because it's creating demand that otherwise wouldn't exist. If you had a 20 percent down payment, home prices would be dramatically lower. because you would have fewer buyers and when you have fewer buyers you have less demand prices have to come down but see we don't want that this goes back to the whole propping up of the economy started back in 2008 we don't want home prices to come tumbling back down to reality we don't want those things because of the economic pain it would cause to get things back in line with where they need to be relative to incomes and job growth and those type of things in the economy so we keep making the situation worse by trying to get people into houses they can't afford or cars they can't afford. No money down on cars. We keep we keep creating this problem because we don't want to go through the economic process that's required to get things back to a level of normality where things are affordable and economic demand runs on its own ground, right, without all these supports. So you know, it's interesting that we're talking about all these very things, and it's the actual—you know—it's like, oh, I can get to a house for one percent. Think about the consequence of that. You're causing the problem that you you're complaining about wanting solved. <laughs> so, well, we are, but I, but for many people, there's no other choice. I mean, look, I get it.
0: Inflation's higher, interest rates are higher, sure. everything is more expensive, so it's difficult for many households to save. I mean, you look at what median household income was; it fell by two point six percent from 21 to 22. I suspect that it's probably somewhere mm-hmm. in that same range here for 23. Mm-hmm. We'll find that out here later. But the average medium home price is $410,200 in June of 2023. That's not new construction, but that's existing, already standing homes. So, you know, going back to what Rocket Mortgage says, oh, no big deal. You're only going to lose $6,000. All right, let's put this in perspective. You have 1% that you put down on a $410,000 house. So you're putting down, what, 4100 bucks? Yep. Okay you have a mortgage which is probably around 2000 bucks give or take maybe more depending on rates I haven't done the math but for them to say you would only lose $6000 is absolutely crazy so let's think about this your first years of a mortgage anybody out there first time home buyers thinking about buying a home put this into perspective your first first mortgage any time that you buy a home any any debt really what are you paying first you're paying the interest mm-hmm. And so you're not getting all this equity. So I hear from people all the time like, man, I bought this house and I just, the equity hasn't really gone up unless we've seen home prices rise, which is what the environment we've been in. But you're not going to see, or how much more can we continue to see this go up? So the problem that that many people face is that they are upside down. So if you have a $410,000 house and you're upside down, let's say the market corrects 10%, that's $41,000. 5%, 20,500 just using their numbers off US mm-hmm. median home prices. So this is really problematic in many ways. So for them to say, oh, there's no skin in the game, you don't have to worry about it. You can walk away and lose very little. Well-
1: But you shouldn't be promoting that in the first place. Well,
0: correct. That, what a terrible sales pitch. <laughs> hey, don't worry about it. You're, you know, scot-free. Isn't
1: that like going into a marriage with a prenup? You, you're getting married, but you're planning on divorcing later. So you go into this house with a low down, thinking, oh, if I don't have to lose yeah. so much money, then why stay in it? I mean, the, the whole premise is... Well, and, and this backwards. is, you know, just recently the state of Texas passed um, a new property tax relief. So if you're married and stay married in the state of Texas, you get 10% off for each kid that you have. So if you have 10 kids, you pay no property tax in the state of Texas. Um, so get busy. But... You know, But, you know, like, for instance, for me and my wife, we were both previously divorced. We don't qualify. So, you know, so they're trying to promote, hey, you know, the sanctity of marriage, get married. But, you know, this is the whole point. You should go into marriage and home ownership almost on an equal basis is that, you know, I'm committed to this. I'm going to make it work, not have an out clause that says, ah, well, if things don't work out the way I want, you know, I'm going to get out and and walk away from it and and but that's also kind of the part of the problem of our whole financial system the way that it's structured whether it's you know used to uh, as an example back in the 90s I know this is you know we're going back even before Danny's time uh stone ages but you know if you file for bankruptcy there was a 10-year penalty for filing for bankruptcy you could not get credit for 10 years that bankruptcy was hanging out there today You file bankruptcy, it's almost like a badge of honor. Oh, you file bankruptcy? Oh, here, here's more credit. Uh, Nobody cares anymore. There's always a bailout now for everything. For all bad financial habits, there's a bailout for it. Nobody really cares about this stuff anymore. Um, And that's, that's great, right? You can make all these bad financial mistakes, get quickly back up on your feet, but that's not in in incurring better financial principles across the financial landscape. And I'll read all these articles and we'll talk about one when we come back from the break about how good baby boomers have it relative to Gen Z and millennials. There's a reason. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use, delivered at the speed of the internet at RealInvestmentAdvice.com. So just uh, you know, before the break, I, I want to get to two topics here uh, here in this last segment. Um, one about retiring. But real, just real quick, you know, I've been reading a lot of articles lately about how good baby boomers have it relative to Gen Z and millennials. And, you know, it's, it's all focuses around the cost of homes and the cost of, you know, living, et cetera. And, but also a lot of it has to do that when baby boomers were, were coming of age, first of all, baby boomers have had time on their side to accumulate and save money, right, invest it. They had a big bull market from the 1980s to 2000s. Not unlike the big bull market. Actually, the bull market we've had since 2008 was way bigger than what we saw in 19, really 1990 through 2000. The 2008 bull market was substantially larger. So you can't really extract, you can't really say, well, just they had the bull market behind them. But they've had time, right? They've had from 1980 to present to, to build wealth. But there's also a, a very big difference in their thought processes around money and saving and spending and investing and doing those things. The they, they, you know maj- vast majority of them they don't gamble in the markets. They're not buying zero data expiration options, trying to get rich in the markets. They don't treat the markets. They do, in in some cases, but on the vast majority they don't treat the market like a casino. They treat the market like it's was meant to be, which is an investment for time. But then they also managed their expenses. They also, you know, they put down payments on houses. They, they did this. And yes, they were able to buy houses at lower prices because we weren't doing all these things that inflated housing prices back in the 80s. So yes, they were a lucky generation. But the vast majority of the problems that we have today can be directly attributed back to Federal Reserve policy, monetary policy, banking policy, and mortgage company policies, et cetera, that are driving this whole issue of selling you a product, selling you something, whether it's an IPO of the latest company. You know, we, we, everybody's up, everybody's up in arms about this new ARM IPO that's coming out, right? It's gonna be the next NVIDIA. Why would ARM just ask yourself this question? I get this email all the time. Like, I'm gonna buy this ARM IPO. Okay, great, go buy it. How many IPOs did we have back in 2020 that basically have returned back to their original IPO price? Very common. Remember that when a company's selling you shares of something, they're selling it to you at the biggest premium that they can extract from the market. They're not selling it. I'm not giving you shares of my company at a discount saying, Hey, come buy shares of Arm or Instacart or whatever it is, because I'm going to sell them to you really cheap. (laughs) Not the case. If you owned Apple back in the '90s, you gave up all of your gains by two by the end of the dot-com crisis. Amazon, same way. So you're always better with an IPO. Wait for a year or two, buy it when it pulls back. Get that premium sucked out of the stock. See how the stock's going to perform. But the same thing goes with everything in the markets, whether it's Wall Street, real estate companies. You can trace almost every financial problem we have today back to somebody selling products somewhere to people and then encouraging them to buy them using more debt, more credit, whatever it is, instead of teaching and educating and promoting fiscal responsibility, because that's not good for the economy, right? That doesn't sell products. For people to be financially stable and for people to be financially responsible, that doesn't promote the sell of debt, which is what drives the economy. So that's my rant for this morning.
0: Well, I think it's funny. So we touched on a lot right there, but the IPO deal, you know, the average company that does an IPO is about eight years old. Yeah. Arm's been around since 1990. Everybody acts yeah. like it's like the, the hottest, new newest thing, thing yeah. right? <laughs> it's been here for 32 years. Yeah. So it's, it's not something that, you know, is, is brand new. But, um, you know, going back and touching on the mortgages, I think, you know, I can make an argument counter to what you just mentioned yeah. on baby boomers in the sense that they were between a rock and a hard place for a very long time because think about the interest rates that they were borrowing at in the 80s. Yeah. You know, much much higher. We're talking first, about my, in the teens.
1: My my first mortgage was 11%.
0: Yeah. And I and I talked to many people that was much higher than that. But so think about this as they were accumulating wealth and had to borrow at the time especially for, you know, new homes they were paying quite a bit more than what this generation is today. Now I get what you're saying on the financialization of everything. And I think that's the biggest problem yeah. that we've had. And, you know, I'm not a big, big fan of regulatory, you know, aspects because I think that, you know, they go too far. Yeah. But this is one where they probably went too far in the opposite direction. <laughs> in, yeah, yeah because, back, because, because,
1: because back when I had my first mortgage, right, it was 1990. I bought my first house. It was a 20 percent down payment there was none of this splitting payments into two mortgages where you could avoid pmi insurance right? Yeah. none of that you had to have 20 percent down to buy the house and that was it but that also kept housing prices in alignment with inflation housing prices grew at about three percent a year which is about what inflation was doing roughly give or take and so housing prices remained affordable to the growth of income savings and those type of things so
0: well, and, and but so they were between a rock and a hard place because as they were accumulating funds, I mean, mm-hmm. yes, they could finally get something on it, but they were likely paying it down on the mortgage and the home mm-hmm. because they didn't just go out and just buy a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. They they thought it was thoughtful, but we didn't have the financialization. You and I talked a couple months ago and I, I joked like, well, I gu-
1: look. I guarantee you when I bought my first house, I didn't pay $1,500 for my landline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Amen to that.
0: But- you know, back then, you know, we joked a couple months ago about you you could buy underwear on a down payment plan or interest, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can. And that's the problem is that everything we can do, it's this give it to me now instant gratification type of era that we are in. And not to mention the financialization of everything and the accessibility they all have to us with phones, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. most people wake up. What do they do? They check their email. Oh, look at all these notifications. Oh, look what I have. Oh, look what, you know, little Billy got down the street. Now I need one of these. And well, so th- that's is, an issue.
1: Well, no, this is the funny thing, right, about social media. And, and you know, 20% of kids now, when they grow up, right, so what, when, when you were growing up, what did most kids want to grow up to be? I mean, doctor, police officer, a doctor, doctor a yeah. football player, right? Everybody wanted to be an athlete. Everybody wanted to be an athlete. Today, 20% of, so in a recent survey, 20% of Gen Zers want to grow up to be influencers on the Internet. And so, and it's always, it always amazes me because my kids watch all these people on the internet and I'm like, why are you liking and following and doing all this stuff with these people? Cause you're, you're paying, you're giving them money. (laughs) You're helping them make money to do whatever they're doing. Go do something to make money for yourself. But, but not only that, you're watching somebody
0: else live your life. Go live your life. Go do. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, but yeah. we
1: didn't. But we didn't have that. See, we didn't have all these distractions of our income. Um, you know, shelling money out to other people to entertain us online. We didn't have all that. You yeah. know, again, you know, you you went and bought a landline. Everybody in the house shared a phone. That's right. And. You know, there was, a, there was a video out the other day of this young lady. She's like, I have this great idea. There should be a phone in the house that everybody can use. And everybody responds. So all these Gen Zers or Gen a, you know, these uh, boomers are responding. It's like, it's called a landline. <laughs> you know, it's called a house phone. <laughs> We've, this isn't new. We've had oh, this. Man. So, But, yeah, it's, you know, but, again, there's all these dist- The point is, is, look, there's all these distractions to financial. Being financially responsible is boring and it sucks. Right? Because you can't have what you want right now. You can
0: still have fun though, but I think it's more yeah. gratifying if you actually save for it and things mean more at that point.
1: Yeah. Look, I, goes, right? I, I, look, I'll tell you this I have, I have financially counseled, I can't tell you how many people. Yeah. Uh, it's just thousands probably. And it's always interesting when you can get them into savings mode, it becomes a game. Oh, it's, it's like, a
0: snowball effect. Yeah. They they, but and so they spending they, on the opposite end. Yeah,
1: they, they get so excited about cutting spending and saving money and seeing their bank accounts grow up, and then the wife gets sucked in. And and this is the big fight between me and my wife right now is that you know, she's always trying to save money everywhere. I turn I was like, honey, just just go do your nail. She found a place some but some some lady would cut her hair for like 10 bucks. I'm like, no, <laughs> go pay to have your cut. Uh, You're a professional, you 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 represent
0: your company our wives are related.
1: I'm telling you. But it's great. But the problem is is that that I created that. She wasn't like that when I met her. And then we got into this whole savings program, and now she's all excited about saving money and seeing the account balances grow. And that's the funny thing is if you can switch the mindset from spend to save, it's a miraculous change. And people are so much happier when they realize that they can give up all the nonsense and they're saving money. They feel better. There's less financial stress. What are the two reasons for divorce? Infidelity and finances. Yeah. Those are, and, and generally, if you're having stress over finances, that's where the infidelity comes in. So because you're fighting all the time. So, you know, if you can solve the financial problem in the household, things get a whole lot better. And then people are a whole lot happier and all that. So anyway, yeah. that's, our, that's that. our marriage counseling for the day.
0: Yeah. But, but baby boomers did get the short end of the stick here because they, they borrowed at high rates. And then until recently, think about this. How much money do you have to have saved? It used to be, oh well, you know, we can go out and get a buy a bond at five six percent, pay a bunch of income, not have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been the case. Yeah, I mean, they interest rates were basically nothing for the last decade, so finally they're able to get a little bit of something from it. But I can make the argument that they they were in a tougher position.
1: Uh, absolutely. As, well, I wanted to get into retiring at with three million dollars at sixty two, but we'll have to save that for yeah, next we'll week. yeah, we do that next week. All right. So any closing comments on all this uh, this morning, Danny, before we break off?
0: No, I mean, li- listen, I-, I think that everybody knows what you should do. The most difficult thing is actually putting it into action and doing that. These, all of these things out here, and any rules of thumb that you hear that are designed, oh, you 28% of debt to income for a house, 35% for the household without all debt. Look, it's tough. I get it. I know it, it is achievable, but those numbers weren't built for you. Those were built for the finance companies. So maybe even pull that back a little bit and you know what? Delaying it a bit is not a bad thing. Make sure that you are doing the right thing for you and your family, not just today, but long-term because these things, they start to do that snowball effect in the opposite direction. And that's what really hurts.
1: Yep. All right. That wrapped, That does wrap up the show for today in 30 minutes. It's the big inflation report. Will it, won't it, what will it be? I don't know, but, uh, We'll see, you know, expect some volatility today. And of course, Mike and I will dig into it all tomorrow morning, right here on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael Leewood's new article up on the website now as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.